Revelation called Seven because it was written to seven churches. And uh, we, we've talked a lot about why are we studying this? Why, why would we look at this? And uh, I don't want to get into all that again. I encourage you to watch previous weeks if you haven't had the opportunity to do that. But it boils down to really one thing. And the reason we need to study the book of Revelation among all scriptures is because we desperately need Jesus. We desperately need Jesus. And, and I think today's passage is meant to remind us of who Jesus is, what he has done, and why we first followed him, how we first came to know him, to love him, to be loved by him, and to uh, be enamored with him and, and so thankful for him, why we first loved him. I think today's passage and, and the book of Revelation and maybe a, a, in, in its entirety is meant to help us to see him and remember what he's done and why we care and why we love him and why he loves us. You know, we sang that song just a moment ago and, and I love it. And sometimes it gets a bad rap and, and because people will say, well, God is not reckless and God's not reckless. But Jesus' love really was cra it's crazy. It's, it's amazing. Think about it. He willing, willingly died for you. He willingly went to the cross for you. And if you recall, Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he died for you and I when we were in rebellion to him. Who would do that? Would you... Love someone who is actively in rebellion against you? Actively sinning against you? Actively looking for your demise? No! Because you and I would say that's reckless, but Jesus willingly died on the cross, willingly took up the mantle of I will go and I will make a sacrifice for their sins that will last once and for all, forever for them. So that anyone who loves me, who trusts in me, who comes to me, anyone who comes to me, no matter what they look like, no matter what they've done, no matter the sin in their life, no matter who they've been around, no matter what they were born into, no matter any of that, that I could show my love to those who would trust in me even when they don't know me or care about me or want me. But God demonstrates his love toward us, Romans 5, 8, in that while we were still sinners, still in rebellion, Jesus died for you, for me. My prayer for my own heart is that I would recall that and I would remember that. And I would be moved by that. And I would be changed by that. And I would be renewed by that in my own walk with my Savior. And my prayer is that that would happen for you too. Let me give you an example from my own life. I love my wife, Allison, so much. I love her uh, and, and honestly feel like I don't deserve her. And I'm so thankful and I remember the first time I saw an image of her on her MySpace page. And if you're watching today, because 
uh, and you are younger than me, you probably may not know what a MySpace page is, and you might not know that even if you're older than me. It was a short-lived blip, and then Facebook came and overcame it and took over it. But I remember looking her up on MySpace and seeing an image, and she just looked so lovely to me. I remember the first time I met her in person. I was on a blind date, and we went bowling into Chili's, and uh, somehow, because my cousin and a girl that he was going on a date with uh, thought that, or somehow I thought I was not only meeting Allison, of course, that part, but that we were also quasi-chaperoning this uh, date as well, which she heard nothing of. So I was mistaken. <laughs> and she loves to point that out. Uh, I remember the day we, I proposed to her. And the, the, my heart was just fluttering so fast. And I remember the first time I saw her walk down the aisle. I remember all those things. I love those things. I love to remember those memories. I love how pictures will remind me of those moments. But kids happen. And busyness happened. And being frustrated and flustered happened. And I don't always remember those things. I, have to, I need reminders. I need things to take me back and help me to remember those moments. I don't love Allison any less, but in the throes of life and the busyness of life and all, the, uh, the, all that life has for us, if I'm not careful, I forget to remind myself, of my, myself about those things. And I think you can identify with that too. Just before this, I told Allison I was going to give this example. And I said... I love you very much, but I'm going to talk about how I forget to love you as much as I have in the past. And so hopefully I didn't mess those words up, and she knows that I do love her. But I don't. I don't stop loving her. I just forget a little until I'm reminded by something or until I intentionally connect with her. Our relationship with Jesus can be similar to this. We forget what He's done. We, fall, we fail to reach out to Him. We fail to connect with Him. We get busy even doing things that He likes, things that we should do. We can go to church, pray, read our Bibles, and do all the things, and we can still forget. We can still not connect. We can still fail to reach out. But the connection isn't there at times. Why? Because we fail to remember that He sacrificed it all. We fail to remember and recall those times when we were knocked back with His love. When we were living for Him and knowing what He's done in every moment. And if we're not careful, we allow life to move us along to keep us going along quickly and fastly, we forget to spend time intentionally connecting with the one we love. The Christians gathered as the church in Ephesus. The, the body of Jesus in Ephesus had forgotten too. They needed a stark reminder. Jesus gave them one. Ephesus was a port city and it was of a great historical value and significance. 
You see, there, one of the eight wonders of the world was located there, the Temple of Artemis, uh, a, a goddess there that they worshipped. It, it, was, it was so beautiful, it was amazing, immaculate. Ephesus was a political, financial stronghold, uh, uh, a force to be reckoned with. At one point, it was, it was only, uh, it was only uh, less second to Rome. At one point in its history, it was only second to Rome. It was a place of trade. It was a place where uh, anyone could come, uh, any Roman could come and, and build a great life for themselves because of trade, commerce, and culture. Ephesus is also significant because of Christianity's spread. It initially began when Paul and uh, Priscilla and Aquila, they went there, they they found some people who were, who, were, who were trusting in Christ. They began a church there and it nurtured it. And, 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 and it was really the place Paul stayed the longest. It was significant because it was a port city. It was a trade route. It was a place where many, many people came. And in fact, because of that, and because people came from all over the world, Christianity spread eventually into Africa, into Europe because of how important Ephesus was. Timothy eventually went there and died there. And then John became the, the pastor of this church, of this region. And, and some say it could have even been the home of Jesus' mother late in her life, Mary, because she was traveling with John as uh, his mother as because remember Jesus said John your mother mother your son so it has great significance perhaps it's of the significance in the spread of Christianity uh, that Mary ends up being there you see the light that shined forth from this lampstand the reason Jesus spoke so clearly to it because of its light, its significance in sharing the light of Christ. And that's why Jesus spoke clearly in this vision to them. Let's read the message Jesus had to this church. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in 1. And if you're able, would you stand? Even if you're home, I encourage you to stand to honor God's Word and as... I finish, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you would say, thanks be to God. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You abandoned the love you had at first. Remember how, then how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you have to do this 
Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Jesus had a very important message for this church. Very specific. Because uh, Ephesus was, was of great significance. It had a great importance to it. And I'd like to show you uh, a screen, uh, something on the screen here. And I want you to see, because there's a, there's a structure that each of these message to, messages to each of these churches holds. So every single church, all seven of them have a specific structure that Jesus' message to them uh, is, falls under. First, you will see there's the church. But you'll also see from chapter 1 and from Jesus' uh, revelation of himself, how John sees him, you will see Jesus reference that for every single church. Uh, in this case, it was that he held the seven stars and walks among the lampstands from chapter 1, verse 20. You'll also see something they're doing well, a commendation, something they're doing poorly, a condemnation. You'll also see a correction and a challenge. In every single message to every single church, you see this. You see this happen. Beginning with Ephesus, there is a, a pattern to Jesus' letter and message for each church. Notice on this slide how each church, this represents how they are geographically. Each church is addressed in a specific order. Now, some will say this is related to how they are arranged in a, a church age and how church, uh, Christianity has declined over a certain amount of time. I do think that though these, this letter and these messages were given to seven specific churches, I do think that they are a message for all of us, but the reason they are ordered in a specific way is because of how they align geographically. You begin at the port city, and whoever was the messenger to these churches, in this case John, they would travel in a certain direction so that they could hit every single one. It's geographical and it's very important. Each church received a reminder of who Jesus is based on his initial revela uh, revelation in Revelation chapter 1. Specifically, this is what Jesus references in this passage when he says, Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Thus says the one who holds the heaven, seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In verse 20 of chapter uh, 1, it states... Almost the exact same. The mystery of the, of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. And what we see earlier is that John specifically mentions that he saw one holding seven stars in chapter 1, verse 12. So Jesus reminds them of who he is. What specifically is Jesus reminding this church of? What specifically did they need to hear? And how do we need to hear that as well? I believe it's our first point today. That Jesus holds those and he never lets go of what is his. Jesus 
never lets go of what is his. You're saying, you see, he's holding these seven stars, and the seven stars are the messengers. Uh, the word is angel. The word simply means messenger. Some will question whether or not it's an, an actual angelic being. It could be any other time that an angel is referenced in the book of Revelation. It is an actual angelic being. Some say it's just a messenger. It could be a pastor or a preacher. It, it doesn't really matter because it's the one delivering the message that Jesus is delivering in this moment. It's the one going to them, sharing them what Jesus wants them to know. And Jesus holds clearly in his hands the messengers with the message of what he is, has done and what he will do. He holds them in his right hand. And we know and understand from Scripture from everywhere that the right hand is the hand of power, the hand of inability to lose its grip. Here we are reminded that Jesus holds on to those who represent him. Jesus has a hold of his church, of this church, the Christians in it and the messengers to it. And friends, Jesus holds you and me. You'll hear it said time and time again, and I do think there's some truth to it, that the, the American church is failing. And sometimes people take that to another degree and say that Christianity is waning. I have you know that Christianity is larger than it's ever been worldwide. There are more Christians on, on planet Earth than there have ever been in any other point of human history. Christianity is growing. Why? Jesus holds his church. Jesus never lets go. Jesus' message is going out. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of spiritual warfare, it goes forth and it accomplishes what we can never fathom and imagine. Do you remember recently when the church in Afghanistan had to flee? Do you remember when the Americans pulled out and it was utter chaos in so many ways? This was last year. Do you know that there are reports of Christians that said, this is where God has planted us? This is where our witness is, and if we have to die for our Savior, we will. We're staying because our neighbors do not yet know of Jesus Christ. Do you know that one of the fastest places in the world that Christianity was growing at that time and has been? In the Middle East, where persecution ramps up the highest, the church grows the fastest. Why? Jesus holds his church. Jesus holds its message. Jesus never lets it go. Why is Christianity waning in the United States? And I do believe that it is. We've grown, ap we've grown apathetic. We've, I think we've lost our first love that we'll see in a moment. But never think that Jesus lets us go. We've let him go. We've released our own grip, but he holds us still. <clears throat> this passage also says he walks in the midst of these churches. He's, with, he's here with them. And friends, Jesus is here with me and you now. 
You know the verse we love to quote, whenever two or more are gathered in his name, he's there in our midst. I think we just say that and don't really realize what that means. Wherever two or more are gathered in Jesus' name, he's here with us. He's with us. He's in our midst. He is God with us. Emmanuel, Jesus, is with us today. He holds us today. He loves us today. And he never lets us go. No matter what trials we face, Jesus is here no matter the difficulties that come on us, Jesus is here. No matter if sickness prevails, no matter if, if, uh, 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 if even if persecution comes, Jesus is with us. He holds us and he loves us and he never lets us go. The second thing that we see here is that we must hold to Jesus more strongly that the things about Jesus. See, we get down to why Jesus is addressing this church. He gives them a commendation. He gives them something they're doing well. He, he commends them. He, 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 uh, and you'll see on the slide, you'll see the things that he, they were doing well. You'll see that they worked and toiled. They had endurance. They had intolerance of evil. They judged false teaching rightly. They, they didn't follow the Nicolaitans. And we'll talk about those uh, when we get to the church at Pergamum. We see that they did a lot of really good things. They did a lot of great things. Jesus tells these Christians that they are doing well at some things. Look at look at uh, John or Revelation two, and look what he says to them. I I know your works, your labor, your endurance. I know you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you've found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. So Jesus is saying, you've done a lot of really great things. But then, he says, this thing I have against you. Can we just pause for a moment in that? What a daunting phrase. What a daunting phrase coming from our Savior. Jesus has something against this church. Is there anything in our lives that Jesus' fiery eyes that are mentioned in John chapter one, or Revelation chapter 1 that they look into and He says, Nope, that's not me. Nope, that's not what you're supposed to do. For these Christians, they were doing a lot, but they had no love. They were doing a lot. They were busy. They were doing a lot of good things, but they forgot the main thing. They forgot what 1 Corinthians 13 states. 1 Corinthians, Paul, Paul tells the Corinthian church a similar thing that they needed to be reminded of because they were struggling with it as well. And Paul says to them, Romans, uh, or 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak human or angelic tongues but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so that I can move a mountain... But I do not have love. I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain 
nothing. And then he goes to that wonderful wedding passage of Scripture, which is not meant for weddings at all, although it does help. But it's, that, it's not the context of it. And he tells them what love really is. The thing is, we can be the same way. No, noisy gongs, clanging cymbals. We get jacked up about the things of God. We get so excited and we, we, we get so bent out of shape sometimes about things, even though they may be good things, yet fail to remember that we're to love the giver of those things more than the things. What does this look like? This is where we place the emphasis of, of, of good things, but give them and, and elevate them to a higher level than they deserve. This is like saying, well, you know, I'm a good Christian. I've, I've done some good things. I go to church. I, I read my Bible. But if you treat people like junk, who cares? You've held on to things that you can do that, that are about Jesus, but have forgotten to love Jesus first and love those Jesus loves. Who does Jesus love? He said, by this you will, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You and I are supposed to first and foremost love each other. First and foremost, we love God. But if we love the ones God loves, we love each other. But we also understand and know that we should be kind and gracious to outsiders, to people who don't know Christ. Scriptures tell us that again and again and again. We also need to love those who bear the image of God, and that's anyone with human skin on and breath in their lungs. Love is important. More important. Love for Jesus. Love for others. You and I are supposed to be categorized and characterized by how we love. And I don't mean just to have good feelings. I don't mean just to say nice things to, in, so, in someone's presence, but to say something else behind their backs. Love is an action, not merely words. You and I are to love God, love Jesus, and not forget that. You see, these Christians, they were doing good things. They are holding the line. They loved Christian doctrine, Christian teaching, and they were, man, they were, you better fall in line or you're out. But they forgot what was most important. And so we must hold on to Jesus more than we hold on to the things about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that those things don't matter. Jesus said they matter to them. He says, you're doing a great job. Those things are important. But you've got to have love. And if you don't, it's, as, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, it's nothing, and you are nothing. You and I are supposed to have love. So what do we do? This is us. What, what, if, what if we have forgotten our love for Jesus? What if, what if we're in this place? Well, Jesus gives us a way out. He gives us an answer in chapter 2, verse 5. He gives us a formula. Remember then how far you've fallen. Repent 
and do the works you did at once. So we must remember, repent, just means to turn, and return to what God wants us to do. Remember how we've fallen, repent of what we've done, and return to doing the right thing. Today, do you want to go back to love? You want to be loving? You want to be what Jesus calls you to be? And, and I certainly do. Then we must remember. We must be intentional. As I said, I have to be intentional in my own relationships with my wife, with my kids. I have to be intentional and say, I want to make an intentional connection. You and I also must make intentional connections with Jesus. The final thing that we see here is that through holding on to Jesus, we find victory and its benefits. So we must not put too much emphasis on the stuff, certainly not more than we love Jesus and love uh, what, whether, uh, what I sh shall say that Jesus loves us, each of those, uh, each other, and those of, who will bear uh, his image. So we, we must love Jesus and the things Jesus loves more than the stuff and doing just the things that show that and the things about Him. But when we hold on to Him, we will conquer, He says. Look in verse 7. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers... I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If you'll show that slide again of the, the formula, you'll see that we have the picture of Jesus, the commendation, the condemnation, the correction, and that's chapter 5. He says, hey, here's how you correct. Remember, repent, and return to the first works you, uh, or be extinguished, uh, your, your lamp and your light to be extinguished. And then... In every one, there's a challenge. And this challenge is from uh, Revelation 19 to 22. And what we see here is he's referencing, Jesus referenced, he prophesies of what will happen to those who hold on to Jesus, those who conquer through Jesus, those who are victorious, those who love him and hold on to him and find victory in him will inherit the tree of life in paradise. I love it. I love that, that Jesus in his message gives them something to look at in Jesus, but then something to look forward to throughout eternity. And friends, you and I can conquer. You and I can find victory. How do we do it? By holding on to Christ. Not just the stuff, not just the things about Jesus, but Jesus that's what this is about, that we would see Him, that He would open the eyes of our heart, that we would see Him. I want to see You, Lord. I want to hold on to You. I, thank, I want to thank You. I want to be changed by You. So, in closing, what are you holding on to right now? Are, are we holding on to our traditions about Jesus only? Remember your first love and what your first love accomplished for you and latch on to that. Hold on to Him and you'll never find yourself faltering and He will carry you 
through. We're going to sing a song in a moment. I love this old hymn. I love it. We've sang it in church many times, and uh, I remember being in church, and we would sing this song, and it's got a million stanzas. And we'd sing them all, man, and we'd wait for somebody to come forward. And uh, the preacher would get up, and somebody didn't come forward. He'd, he'd reiterate and try to, you know. And I, I remember as a kid thinking, when is this going to be over? But I love this song. If you think about it, it says, Just as I am without one plea. And see, the truth of the Scripture, and it was used in Billy Graham Crusades, that you can come to Jesus today just as you are. Recently, there's been a tag added to the, to the song. It, it, I think it enhances it. The melody doesn't change, but it gives this tag. I love it. And I have, I have wept many times. I come broken. I come broken to Jesus. I come just as I am. Friends, the message of this message to this church, but the message to you and I, Jesus holds on to you and never lets you go. And you can hold on to him and find victory. And so my prayer today, would you come to Jesus just as you are and remember his love and return to what he's called you to do? Maybe you're watching today. You've never trusted Jesus. Maybe you're in this room, never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Or maybe you need to come back. Today, you can do that. Come to Him, however you are. He receives you as you are, but He never lets you stay the same. He changes you and conforms you into His image. Hold on to Jesus today. Come just as you are. I'm going to pray. Our team is going to come. We're going to sing. And you come. Lord, thank you that we can come to you. That you hold us and never let us go. And that we can hold on to you. And find victory. And we get to eat from the tree of life in paradise. I don't even know what that means, Lord, but I can't wait. And so give us a taste of that in this moment, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing this song?